0: listening to the GamesIndustry.biz podcast. I'm James Batchelor, and I'm joined this week by...
1: Matt Handrahan. And Brendan Sinclair.
0: A couple of big stories to talk about this week. Um, first one is GTA 6, the ongoing speculation as to when it's coming out. Brendan, you actually wrote a, a decent piece on this last night. Perhaps you can talk us through it. I actually wrote a decent piece. Thank you,
1: James. <laughs> <laughs> That's
0: not quite how I
1: meant it. It's okay. Um, yeah, so... so this came out from uh, uh, a note to investors by Stevens analyst Jeff Cohen, uh, who was looking through Take-Two's 10K report and their annual filing with the SEC. And they, they found that their marketing commitments for fiscal 2024, um, the year ending March of 2024, had a huge jump in, in expenses uh, to about $90 million. And in the years leading up to that, it had been like 30 to $40 million uh, this year is much less. And he kind of looked at that and said, like, does that mean, uh, grand theft auto six or a new grand theft auto game is coming out then. And he, he looked back at, uh, the year red dead redemption two came out the fiscal night, 2019. And in the years leading up to that, uh, he saw like, Hey, there was a similar jump in marketing commitments for, you know, for that game. So, Maybe this increase in commitments is tied to a new Rockstar game because those are Take Two's biggest releases by far. And like you look at it on the surface, and it's like, okay, yeah, that sure, maybe. Um, and what I did because I have problems that I should probably see someone about is I decided that it was going to be fun to look through all of take two's 10k reports for like the last decade or something and and see how these numbers change and uh what i found was that they don't really seem to be related to rockstar releases uh first of all in a lot of the 10k reports not all of them but in a lot of them there's like a footnote on that that bit about marketing commitments that says uh, these are primarily related to uh sports leagues Uh, The the licenses that we pay, you know, for for sports leagues and their their players associations. So it's like uh, as part of the agreement with Major League Baseball when they had that or NBA or NFL, which they have now, um, they are, I suppose, committing to a certain amount of marketing support for for the games. So that's one thing right there. It's that okay. Well, take two says sometimes. Primarily, this is not about Rockstar games. It's about sports. Uh, another thing is if you look back to twenty thirteen and twenty fourteen. I think were the years when Grand Theft Auto V came out on last gen and then the the new gen. Um, the, there's not the same kind of spike. In the marketing commitments, the marketing commitments were higher than in the years after. But that, I think, was largely because they still had the Major League Baseball license back then. And it's definitely it wasn't anything like the kind of spike that you would expect with with a a new Rockstar game. And I got to wondering, like, why? Why would you actually have a marketing commitment around a Rockstar game? Like, who would who would really insist on that? rockstar the housers i mean they they know they're the golden goose at take two right so they're going to be you don't need to worry about like is grand theft auto five or six or whatever gonna have you know 40 million of marketing support like yes of course it will there's there's no world in which they release the new game and then don't market it um and there were, there were other issues, too, like other flags. Kind of Red Dead Redemption 2, the, the fiscal 2019, when Red Dead Redemption 2 came out, it had that spike in marketing support, but uh, they were guiding to that spike even before Red Dead Redemption 2 was planned for fiscal 19. It was originally supposed to be out the year before, when they, and when they announced it as a fiscal 2018 release, they still had that marketing spike planned for 2019 game gets delayed and then and then it lines up
2: but so is it is it that they just have they just have a set amount that they commit to marketing that's why you don't see spikes around specific games because they just have marketing money in reserve for whatever releases coming out and then it spikes in accordance with you know licensing with sports leagues yeah
1: so it's 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 tied to just the the commitments. It's not like what we plan to spend on marketing. It's like, this is what we are contractually obligated to spend on marketing. And, uh, so if you, if you look at that and you wonder like, okay, well, if it's not a rockstar game, what is it? And I think a lot of it deals with the sports business, like in the 10 Ks, sometimes they, they say it does, um, in like, fiscal 2021, what they're going through right now is a really light year of new releases uh, for Take-Two, and their marketing spend is low. It, it jumps up next year uh, from about $12 million to closer to $40 million. Uh, Next year also happens to be when the deal to release NFL games starts. So they have a deal with the NFL to create multiple non-simulation games. And it jumps up... It, it starts next year. The first one comes out next year when the, the marketing commitments jump and then 2023, they, they stay about the same 2024, they double then 2025. They're kind of back down to that, you know, 30 to 40 million Mark where they are right now. So the question then becomes like, what is take to have in 2024 that is going to cause that, that jump. So since it's multiple NFL games, then uh, maybe they're going to run two different versions of the NFL. Like, here's our, you know, they can't do a simulation like Madden, but they can definitely do an arcade-style game. Maybe they have a card-battling game or something ridiculous, a Kingdom Hearts-style action RPG with NFL players. I would totally play that. Um, so what,
2: so what, what people thought was GTA 6 is actually just two different NFL games? That, does, that doesn't seem like well i mean yeah it's like if, i if imagine you look... that you're you, you you i think you've played spoil sport for an awful lot of people there brendan i'm sure people yeah, were. Yeah. we're really hoping that, that you'd have proved the existence of gta 6 and you just come up with a couple of american football titles in 2024 that's,
1: yeah. uh, that's well we we asked we asked take two and they said they said that actually that that marketing commitments thing that that only applies uh to commitments made to third parties so, so it's definitely, it's not a rock star thing specifically. And, and then it's just kind of like, well, what is it? And if we look back at 20 fiscal 2019, when they had the last spike, things that happened then that, that maybe tied into it, uh, they launched the NBA 2k league. That was the first season oh, yeah. of the NBA 2k the league yeah. and they launched NBA 2k online two in China. And I think there could have been significant marketing commitments around both of those. It doesn't seem like the NBA 2K license year to year for the main game really has a whole lot of marketing commitments because they get pretty, you know, like this year, it's down to what, 12 million or something that uh, that Take-Two has. So they're going to have an NBA 2K game this year. So just that annual part doesn't seem to to increase their commitments but something like launching the esports league launching the new game in china i can see the nba really wanting to get more more behind that and uh one of the so if if you look at what's coming in 2024 maybe there's an nfl 2k league that launches maybe they're doing something like the nfl 2k online Maybe they're running two parallel NFL games. And here's here's my like games industry trade publication fan fiction idea of what what might be happening. So it's totally speculative. And, you know, take that with a huge grain of salt. In 2005, EA signed a 15 year deal with ESPN. And that gave them the rights to to use ESPN branding in all their games and to make X Games video games, which they never did. Uh, and I've, I've looked through a whole lot of old EA sports titles and I can't find any, any example of the ESPN branding inside the EA sports titles. So EA paid a boatload of money to ESPN for 15 years and mothballed the brand. They did it just to keep it away from take two, which is boggles my mind that deal that deal ends this year. I can't imagine ESPN wanting to re-up with someone that would not use the brand at all. And I can imagine Take Two wanting that legitimacy, that that kind of mainstream credibility of the ESPN brand, and also making marketing commitments to ESPN to ensure that, you know, like whatever you do with that brand, at least, you know, maybe you're gonna commit to buying however much money in ads on ESPN networks to you know to market these games
2: so but I mean I think you might have to clarify because I'm I personally am not that familiar with ES- ESPN and what an ESPN licensing deal would actually bring to a game publisher I mean I'm assuming it's somewhat similar to having the Sky Sports license over here but Sky Sports doesn't like operate sports or fund sports tournaments exactly it just sort of has broadcast rights for stuff in the early 2000s,
1: uh, the the 2K brand uh, that Take-Two bought from Sega, and then they put the ESPN branding on top of that. So you had ESPN personalities doing the, the play-by-play. You had everything everything on the screen kind of looked as close to an actual ESPN telecast from that year as, as it could. And it went a long way towards making it feel like, oh wow, this is this is as close to the you know what I'm watching on TV as possible um, for for North America, for the U.S. specifically. Uh, I, I think that ESPN branding is huge, um, and I'm I'm kind of shocked that EA never really used it. But um, I actually reached out to ESPN to ask them w- uh, about this, and they're like, well, we're not talking about this right now. Well, it um, does seem
2: shocking that EA never used it, because while well, I understand why someone would just splash some cash to keep something away from somebody else there's, and from a rival company, there's obviously a clear reason for them to use it themselves. What Do you have any educated guess as to why they just didn't ever use it?
1: I... Uh, honestly like maybe they just felt like the ea sports brand was bigger they didn't want to 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 promote someone else's ip in any kind of way shape or form they didn't feel that they needed it and they they yeah, didn't they they, well, they of, had madden that was it
2: well i'm trying to f- Remember, I mean, I'd like to just go and switch on FIFA in the other room and actually have a look. But FIFA, I mean, what, what you said about um, making those games look like an ESPN telecast, that's exactly what put FIFA ahead of Pro Evolution, basically. That, that's, what, that's how they pulled ahead in the race. Pro uh, FIFA, the, the experience of playing FIFA, is far more based around the experience of watching uh, soccer on the television than it is, you know, the game of soccer itself. Like what sets it apart is the branding of the Premier League, like the the trend, like the, the weird animated transitions you see on sports broadcasts and stuff. They have the commentators um, are the same that you get on Premier League matches. But I don't think they have any kind of dealings with Sky, which would be the equivalent to ESPN as a broadcaster. I think they actually, EA just does deals piecemeal with the individuals, so... Um, I think it's like Martin Tyler and Alan Smith are the the names of the commentators. They have individual deals with those two people. They don't have a deal with what the equivalent of ESPN would be. But I guess over in the US, those rights are kind of different or North America, those rights are different that you'd need to go through ESPN to get that stuff. I'm, I'm yeah, not because entirely... there, because because that combination of EA Sports and then the iconography from the Premier League and the voices and so on—that is what makes FIFA basically unassailable, as much as anything. Because it sure as hell ain't the gameplay; it's yeah. it's the presentation. It's all in the presentation.
1: Yeah, and I, I think they they've done sort of similar things um, here. Uh, I'm not I'm not a big sports gamer, but when I used to play NHL games every now and then. Um, I, I would recognize like, oh hey, this is the play by play broadcaster from like, you know the the Canadian you know broadcast, but they don't use the Canadian networks, things like that. Uh, so th- so they've they try and make it you know, TV like, but and and I actually, I can't say for certain that they've never really used the ESPN branding, partly because I'm not that familiar with these games, but just, you know, looking at YouTube, Videos of a whole bunch of old EA Sports games. Like, I did not see a single trace of it, and it it's shocking to me that that they would have. It it just kind of like lays bare how much what they were doing back then was just anti-competitive, <laughs> you know?
2: Yeah, like, well, let's... I can believe that because actually, like, if you look at again, my only reference point is FIFA, but FIFA's sort of rise to utter dominance began around the mid 2000s Uh, it was sort of it was far in front by 2009 2010 but prior to that there was a genuine rivalry with other sports and ea seemed to really cement its position at that point so it would be in keeping with that kind of let's conquer the market attitude that i perceived back then that they would have this crazy deal with espn just so other people couldn't use it i suppose but so what does that mean for um what does that mean for Take Two in the longer term, though? So, so your 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 feeling is that a lot of this stuff is pointing towards a much bigger play in the online sports world or the or the the sports video games uh, landscape from Take Two. I mean, obviously they've got skin in the game already, but there seems to be the pieces are in place for something a little bit bigger in the future.
1: Yeah, I, I think they I think they see some opportunity there, and it's I mean they were they were really burned by the the Major League Baseball, uh, license because they got exclusivity on that as retaliation for EA getting exclusivity on NFL and they overpaid for it. And it kind of, it it dragged down their, their financials for years. So it's kind of a shame because I think baseball has been like kind of a, a clear opportunity for several years now for, for competition, and so much so that Sony just decided, like, okay, we'll start making games for non-Sony platforms because we've got the only baseball simulation series going, so let's let's do that. Um, I, I think... I, I don't know how long EA's deal with the UFC runs for, but uh, my impression of it is that, that that partnership seems like it hasn't really provided the the results that i would have expected given ea's success with their other sports games and the ufc's success just generally and you know as a as a cultural sport um i don't there hasn't been any kind of like mainstream nascar uh frontline release in 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 a while uh hockey is i i don't I don't know if it's that big a, you know, a target, but it's it's a a sport that could use a little competition. I I just think that it's um yeah, I think they see an opportunity in the sports landscape. I don't know how aggressively they're going to pursue it, but it's 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 nice that someone at least is is looking to shake things up even a little.
2: Yeah, well, I think it's interesting because you know this is a sort of an inquiry that started with a as usual a GTA rumor right and you landed up where you landed up but I think that kind of speaks to take take two's portfolio in a lot of in a lot of ways you know if you if you do take uh, GTA away you're kind of left with the 2k basketball games and not a hell of a lot else I suppose I think it makes makes a lot of sense that they'd be looking to create some create some new franchises so that they could depend upon in the way they can depend upon sort of Rockstar as a franchise, 2K as a franchise, because I feel like they've, they've, they've tried to start that kind of thing several times in the past and haven't really got anywhere. Like Mafia was a bit of a non-starter. They've had a couple of shooter games didn't really take off or do very much. Borderlands 3 evidently did okay, but I, I personally felt like it was a bit of a disappointing release. So The I, I Bioshock like, series... Yeah, the Bioshock the Bioshock,
1: Bioshock was their big breakthrough from like yeah. a dozen years ago or whenever they were just like, well, is it a Grand Theft Auto year? Then you want to own Take-Two stock. Is it not a Grand Theft
2: yeah. Auto year? Then that thing is trash. Yeah. Um, and it seems like even now, like people see an anomaly on a balance sheet and the first thing and the only thing they think is GTA. Right. like there's not there's not a possibility that anybody immediately leaps to that isn't something coming out of Rockstar, and that's not the best look for a business. And and I think what you're saying, Brendan, I mean, because a lot of these sports are sort of somewhat unfamiliar to to kind of Brits at least, because we're completely narrowly focused on a handful of, of sports like cricket and soccer and whatnot, right? But like um, baseball and American football and basketball, not really that popular over here, but. Obviously there are huge audiences elsewhere and you're right, there are many sports that say you know, you you said the UFC as well. And I've seen games come and go and attempts to do something, come and go in loads of these sports, but they always seem to falter and go away. And we're, we're in, we're, but we're in an era now where, particularly with esports kind of opening up and online play and that sort of angle, I think you could probably make something quite robust in most sports if you just put the right resources behind it.
1: The difference is that this, the Take-Two of recent years, even when it's a not non-Rockstar year, it still makes decent money turns a profit which is what it wasn't doing before and it's been expanding uh its slate it has private division now as sort of a a you know third party publisher thing for axis has turned out xcom and civilization pretty reliably those are uh big contributors and and they've said that in um the next 5 years they have 93 new standalone games uh that they're they're planning to launch that includes uh some free to play
2: some mobile things like that um that kind of boggles my mind though because i think uh thq nordic or what they call now the embracer group they have this kind of they have this kind of number it's like we've got like 130 games at some stage of development and my only 40 have been announced but like i'm not couldn't even find evidence of 40 having been announced let alone really truly believe that genuinely 120 distinct games at all you know, being made with with a view to being released. What well, what do you make of that figure? That is it 93 games? That's a lot of games. Well
0: that, that number's now making a bit more sense to me. Just going on what Brendan has been saying, like, yeah, if there is this kind of big push towards sports and there is the ability to make multiple titles, multiple franchises out of each um sports franchise, so yeah, it sounds like they're doing that with NFL. We know that they're doing that, or at least it's it's almost confirmed that they're doing that with WWE. That you know we've got the the standard 2K franchise, but now they're doing something different um, elsewhere, and then throwing mobile ones like 93. You took if you look at all the different sports that they they're trying to get their hands into, multiple versions of that. So something that's a bit more casual, something that's a bit more arcade. and if they've got the rights to it, something that's a bit simulation, you can spin three or four titles per year. Out of one sport, potentially, and then
1: you look at things like private division, where they just need to sign these, you know, publishing deals with with externally developed games, and and that can add mm. to the to the number. They've got mobile uh, developer like Social Point, uh, Strauss elnick Actually, um, in a presentation for investors this week, he he was asked about that that number of 90, 93 new titles, and he's like, well, this isn't this isn't a sea change. For for us, we are still only going to have a handful of significant titles like AAA frontline titles every year, but this this is what we're investing in, and this is the kind of broad investment we need to make in order to ensure that we do have a handful of frontline AAA titles every year. Because this year right now is a pretty thin year for them, and I think two or three years ago they also had another really thin year where it's like they had NBA two K, they had WWE and then they they might have had a for access game and some some add-ons some expansion packs and like at e3 year that year they had a booth and it was such a wonderful beautiful comfortable booth no games no it was just, it was just like a place mm-hmm. to sit down and maybe talk to some take two people and there was not a not a video it was, game it was inside. like the
0: zen business lounge yes. wasn't yes
1: it? yes it was pretty nice um so yeah they don't they don't want that many years like that i'm sure they'd prefer more years where they'd go to something like e3 with that massive mafia 3 house setup that they had the one year so or borderlands 3 this last time
2: yeah weirdly i quite like the sound of this i suppose this is a bit sort of galaxy brain i guess but for some reason, I, I'm, I'm drawn to like what, what happened with EA and the Star Wars license. So they bought the uh, they, so EA paid, no doubt, horrendous amounts of money for the Star Wars license. And it's really hard to look at the period of time uh, since they bought that and kind of what they've done with it and feel like that's a, a really satisfying way of way of handling it and I, I just feel like EA has landed up in a position which is very different from where it was 10 years ago where it, it really is focusing on on a smaller handful of very very big games. I mean so EA used to put out like a, an MMA game but I just feel like that's an, a version of EA that doesn't exist anymore. EA is not interested in making a game that sells 2 or 3 million copies to a, to a bunch of niche kind of hardcore fans. That's That's not what it wants to be but I quite like the idea of take two as this company that's kind of willing or interested in Sort of taking on and making kind of multiple titles in individual sports that might sell a smaller number of copies each and just kind of build its business in that way and have private division and be making like a larger number of games that sort of represent smaller bets overall. Maybe maybe that's the position they're taking alongside companies like, you know, EA and Activision, the other big North American publishers who are really just working around three or four massive IPs and not really got much interest in doing anything else.
1: They have. NBA 2K Playgrounds also so like NBA 2K has been like their you know such a cash cow for them and it seems like they've sort of done test runs with things like you know this expanding the brand there with, with NBA 2K Playgrounds with NBA 2K Online with NBA 2K Online 2 um, so it's I, I, I think what's interesting to me is I did a 10 years ago this month column um, sometime in the last year I think And the column uh, was about the fewer, bigger, better approach to to games. Because 10 years ago, developers or publishers were putting out just huge, huge catalogs. Like EA would have 60 to 70 titles in a single year. And even that was coming down from like almost the triple digits. And I looked at how many titles were released like that in 2018, 2019. And the numbers were just, they'd cratered, you know, EA had like a dozen games in a, in a year now. And it's, it's interesting. The idea that, I mean, take two is not a big enough publisher as weird as that sounds. Um, I don't think they're a big enough publisher to really like crank out the AAA out frontline output in a, a hugely meaningful way. Um, and they could still do that and they would still wind up shy of, you know, the 12 games or whatever that EA does these, these days. Uh, but it's interesting that someone's pushing back even a little on the fewer, bigger, better uh, approach. And you've got THQ Nordic doing their thing, which they are not take two They're you know, EA is to take two as take two is to t- THQ Nordic. Um but it's it's like Strauss elnick at that uh, investor conference was asked about, you know, sort of diluting the market or overwhelming the market. Mm-hmm. And he specifically pointed to this trend of fewer bigger better over the last decade, how those numbers have cratered and how there's a whole lot of room left to expand that and still not, you know, run into problems just because there's a paucity of triple a frontline games being made these days.
2: Hmm. Yeah. No, I think it's an opportunity that's being grasped by a few different companies. As you mentioned, THQ Embracer group. They're another example of it. And then I think, you know, the private division, that's interesting because didn't he also say that, uh, the Patrice Desolet game ancestors has actually been a hit. Yeah. He and said, it, uh, it looked for all the world like that had been a catastrophic failure. Now, now that's, yeah i i guess we'll take him at his word and it was a hit but but i guess when you're making a game with a certain level of budget you don't necessarily have you know you're not really it's not a big physical retail release or anything like that maybe it doesn't really have to appear to be that bigger hit to be turning a profit and if and if you're doing a lot of stuff like that rather than banking everything on 10 different games you can you can still have a pretty solid business with pretty diversified amount of risk uh, involved each year Yep. Yeah, they just got to pick the projects
1: right and i don't know they're just judging by the the first lineup of uh private division titles they they might be doing a good job of that although they they've got one coming out is it disintegration
0: next one disintegration yes couple of weeks
1: i'm i i've i've not seen or heard a whole lot about that one um so we'll, we'll see how that one goes but if ancestors can be a hit Despite, you know, just the kind of like not showing up on our radars all that much and then not having like an overwhelmingly impressive reception just from, you know, our bubbles, then yeah, it's, it's entirely possible to have hits that are just, you know, outside of our field of view.
0: Yeah, if the expectations for disintegration are similar to Ancestors, I imagine it might do well enough, because like, it's a sort of game that people will be curious about. You know, it's, a, it's an action shooter from former Halo devs, so that that alone will will turn the heads of a certain number of people. Um, but yeah, that, that one does intrigue me. I, I saw it at Gamescom last year. I think it was when they announced. I think they announced at Gamescom last year, and here it is less than a year later and it's on shelves. I have not really seen much of a a push about it you know certainly in terms of media coverage since that first reveal and i don't know, just the the idea it looked it looked like a polished enough a polished enough game but it is essentially halo if you're con- permanently strapped to the was it the banshee or the, the ghost mm-hmm. what's the floating hover thing that you steal mm, from the bad ghost uh, from the I think it's a ghost. that one's the ghost ghost, ghost. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. If you're permanently strapped to a ghost and can sh- shout at your fellow Spartans, go kill that dude. That's basically uh, disintegration. Yeah,
2: I mean, I, this is the thing. Like, although on its surface, I think you would say the disintegration would would seem to have more potential to be a hit than ancestors at the very least ancestors was a truly bizarre game and it you know it was it it, it's the monkey game you know it doesn't even really need you know if you've seen it once you'd probably remember that it exists whereas disintegration you kind of forget what game you're reading about by the end of the press release it's so so close to so much of else else that exists out there that I do wonder as Brendan said you know to, to to play that game they've got to pick well and I don't know that that is where the the market for double A or single A or whatever you want to call this kind of game, uh, triple I, many, many terms have been banded about, but I don't know if that's where you want to play, right? I, I don't necessarily know if that's where if that's where you're going to make make the most money or, or stand the best chance of success because I, I don't know that a game that sort of kind of looks a bit like a spin on Halo from people that made Halo is going to do very well in a world where Halo already exists you know that kind of stuff
0: the other story we wanted to talk about this week were comments from David Braben uh, CEO of Frontier Developments uh, he was talking during the GamesIndustry.biz Investment Summit Online which we hosted yesterday Um he was the opening talk he was speaking to uh Chris our, our publisher and they were talking they began talking um about the the effect of the pandemic uh and how it's impacting the universe uh, the universe not the, well the universe as well but the industry how it's impacting the industry um and he he made a few interesting comments towards the start one of which we pulled out as a story and uh and gained some traction on twitter he said, uh, we've seen an acceleration in the transition from physical to digital. That is a good thing. It's probably two to three years before physical more or less goes away. And it's probably accelerated that timescale a bit. Now, he was talking about the fact that obviously, like, more people are at home, more people are playing games, more people are engaging with games. And obviously, more people aren't able to go physically to stores and buy games and bring them back. Um there's debate as to whether or not he meant um I, i'll be honest that that is an entire quote specifically on the impact of physical um so there's debate as to whether he means you know uh you know whether that includes buying games digitally so buying something from Amazon for example. we'll get more into that in a second but when when we run this story, obviously we've had a uh, qu- quite the the range of replies on Twitter, uh, most of which seem to be david you you you're drunk, David, go home. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> and then, but some have been some have been saying, well, no, digital art is becoming increasingly a larger part of the industry. It's becoming, you know, more and more people are turning to digital games rather than physical for the pure convenience. And for the fact that, honestly, half the time if you buy the physical game anyway, the disc is just like a, a fraction of the game. And then you have to download a massive, like, patch. What was the, uh, there was, there were two games. I can't, I think it was the Uncharted collection. This is a random example, but I think I downloaded the Uncharted collection. Um, from PS PS Plus or PS when it, when they were giving it away free like a month ago for to entertain people during COVID um, lockdowns, and the different and I already had the 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 disc based version on my on my um, console, and the difference I think it was something like five gigabytes. There's only a five gigabyte difference between the digital only and then the disc based version of the Uncharted collection. Now, granted, that's not representative of today's releases. But still, you look at like you know the the size of things like Modern Warfare, Red Dead Redemption Two, like the size that those take up of hard drives. Yeah, the disc isn't carrying as much weight as it used to.
1: So many of the games are games as a service, anyways. That you you know, people are complaining about what Destiny and Call of Duty are are insisting upon uh, as far as hard drive space that they're taking up. And yeah, so so the the advantages of physical are um greatly reduced in in the current era and
2: like trend trends I, I, only going one way as well i mean it's important yeah. to remember that right yeah mm.
1: so i think i think braben is um he's i don't know about the time frame being right but i you know within the next 10 years or so i think he's basically right on the mainstream front line triple a like just the when random people buy games uh, they're probably going to be buying digital. I do think that physical is not going away uh, necessarily until the until the the platform holders start making digital only consoles as the only option.
2: Um, yeah, be- but do, do you think it really meant that like there will be zero physical copies sold ever again right. as of three years time? I really I really felt. I feel like, they, you know, you can, I guess, give someone who's been around as long as David Braben has the benefit of the doubt that he's probably going to allow a bit, little bit of nuance in there. He's not, you know, it'll be... It, I saw it as more like, you know, CDs in the age of Spotify or vinyl in the age of whatever, MP3, something like that, that it would be a minimal concern to the majority of companies, physical, in three years.
1: It's interesting because I, I think... Like this generation, I've actually become more interested in in physical. Um, every just about every Switch game, I get if there's a physical version available, I will I will go for that one. And I just I I, I don't know. I, I'm I guess I'm kind of like the 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 music hipster market that just buys vinyl. I'm in that same area for video games now. I can't. I can't articulate exactly why it, why it appeals to me so much more, but there's, uh, there's definitely a frustration with, uh, uh, the way digital games are treated and the, the kind of undermining of any sense of ownership in, in the whole game playing, uh, process, not just with things like games as a service. Um, but like, I, I miss when games had a sense of permanence to them you know when when the company could shut down shut off the servers doesn't matter what happens I can still play it you know when there's when there's no yeah. chance that they're going to be like oh well we lost the license so we're going to go into your digital library and just remove this game from it now or we're going to update it to take away this you know one song that our we lost the license to uh, things things like that and and whatever kind of you know, remnant of permanence that I can still cling to, um, I, I, I will. It's, it's weird because people are paying a premium for physical games now and they
2: know that. Yeah, but, know, I, th- but lim- I think that's where, but I think that's where physical ends up, you know, ultimately. And I think even David Braben would concede that. I think the thing with the, the, the responses to David Braben's comment was it's, you know, a fairly classic social media thing where people on social media kind of read a single sentence Assume that that's just literally the whole story, and find it quite easy to take apart. Because you know, if you boil a sentence, if you if you take a single sentence and say that's everything, it's very very easy to take it apart. But there's obviously a lot more going on than. You know, nobody will be selling a physical copy of any game of any kind in three years' time. That's definitely not what he was saying. But that is what people... But that's what people responded to. And that's a very, very social media Mm. way of conducting discourse. It's it's never... But it's actually... It's much, as Brendan has has pointed to, there. It's actually a much more layered possibility than that. I mean, I just said, you know, vinyl in the age of Spotify. Vinyl is still around. And actually, I first started buying vinyl back in about... 2000 2001 and it was actually really really hard to find vinyl back in 2001 it's way way easier now like I paid you know amounts of money for records back in 2000 that you can now get on like 180 gram high quality vinyl for 20 quid in almost any high street music shop because they, they were not pressing it back then but they're pressing it again now but it is a gourmet experience and that that's what it exists to do.
0: On a sort of similar note, you've got those uh, indie publishers like Limited Run and Super Rare. They take digital-only games, in- indie games that have fared well, and they create these kind of luxury uh, collector's editions, physical collector's editions for those who want them. Half the time, I imagine, it's people who have already bought the game or played the game and just want a kind of a physical thing to kind of almost display on their uh, on their their, their favourite games cabinet or something. like. But, you know, those businesses are doing well enough out of physical and i can't see that the demand for that sort of thing going away
1: i think this is also like what's what's killing gamestop it's not just that these games are available digitally uh i think it's it's also that the the people who at this late date are still buying physical media are probably a lot of them doing it out of preference and they might be doing it and holding on to it like like the way I am like the way you know those limited run games and super rare games releases people aren't going to take those to GameSpot GameStop I worked Mm -hmm. at GameSpot for seven years and I'm still doing this (laughs) people aren't going to take those to GameStop and trade them in to get 20 bucks off of the new Madden you know like Mm -hmm. they're they're just a lot more intentional about the way that they consume their media and they're not going to trade it in. If there's no trade-ins, then there's no, you know, huge gross margin project for the uh, uh, product for the for the resellers like GameStop, and then their entire kind of business model has to shift because you know what they used to care about is is no longer they can't they can't lean on that anymore. GameStop just uh, changed the way they report their their financials because of this. They used to have like here's here's what the new games uh software did here's what the new game hardware did here's what used products did and now they don't even break out used products
2: yeah yeah so i i think this actually speaks to because i i find what i find more interesting than kind of you know will physical games be gone in three years is actually more like what what will What role will physical games play in like five to 10? Like, what will they be? Will they be, as you say, Brendan, these kind of products which are much more like deliberate and for people that really want them? And they're not, they're not just like a. Because, I mean, this is the thing like, we all grew up and we started writing about games in an era dominated by packaged goods, right? But these were disposable. Like I would buy a game and I would trade it in against the next buyable game. They weren't considered precious by 90% of people. Now there are some people that built libraries and saved every game and all that stuff, but plenty of people saw a game in a box as disposable. Just as disposable as any download, to be honest with you. And, And 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 that and that I think is something that does get a little bit forgotten amidst here. But that that kind of relationship with physical goods still exists today and i was actually t- talking about something along these lines with chris earlier on and he would be a good person to have involved in this discussion and i've been thinking about it a little bit recently anyway because there's obviously so we've had covid the pandemic and there's been, been this idea that this would like really hurt physical retail and i've seen plenty of people say "Well, oh, look it hasn't because box sales are still really good the thing for me is, they, those are box sales through digital retailers, right? So you're buying a box from Amazon, which is not. Now that seems to me to be a very, very, almost like a pedantic difference between physical, it's, it's just, it that doesn't feel like a physical sale to me. That feels like a digital sale, but you just happen to be buying a game in a box because that is not helping physical retail one little bit, really. I think, I think that what you've seen a lot in the pandemic is people who are custom, would customarily go to a retailer like Game or GameStop, depending where you are in the world, and they would buy a game in a box on the day it came out. And they haven't had the ability to do that. So they've they've, they've gone to the places that are still selling box games. That's Amazon, right? And maybe they never really did that before. Maybe it never that like buying a game through Amazon isn't really what they did. Maybe they went to the physical retailer. Now they've got now they've gotten used to doing that maybe they don't go back and then that those are parts of the headwinds that will see retailers like game and gamestop hurting more and more and more and more because once people get used to even buying boxes through digital platforms i don't think you can really call it physical retail anymore Um, and i think physical retail in the meaningful sense just becomes these much more lavishly produced uh versions of games like the what you said with limited run batch because you know it's the same way as anything Like right? you know vinyl was always this like, big beautiful format for music like the artwork's amazing like at least what appeals to me about it even now That kind of got shrunk and atomized by different formats over the years until, you know, even when you were using a physical format, something like Spotify seems just as good because prior to that you had an MP3 player or using CDs or something. This is just the process people go through in the migration from physical products to digital. So I don't see people buying, still buying box games but through digital retailers as proof that physical still is still doing well or that it's still relevant i actually think it's the other way around i I see it as a kind of a a nail being driven into the coffin of people that really make physical uh, an ongoing proposition in the way that david braben's talking about and again he's not saying no one will buy a physical copy in three years time he's just saying that in three years time you're going to look at a company like ubisoft and you're probably going to be seeing 90 percent digital revenue um, and they're already at 78 and I actually looked at the, the results from three years ago and it's more like 45 so if you go back three years we're on track for what he's saying to be more or less true like closer to true than to false eventually and I and I genuinely don't see things like box copies being sold through purely digital storefronts as being as helping physical retail at all I, I just feel it's weaning more and more people off of buying games in stores
0: that is all we've got time for this week we'll be back next week uh midweek hopefully with an emergency podcast on the reveal of playstation 5 so check that out in a couple of days i believe this episode comes up monday so we will aim to get that out thursday so that's the day after the reveal we'll be back monday obviously with your usual weekly news show still working on those secret projects uh more on that in the coming weeks we are getting very close to those In the meantime, you can find all previous episodes on your podcasting platform of choice and you can get your daily dose of news, analysis and insight into the world behind video games at gamesindustry.biz